We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. edition of Floyd Street's Finest. That is not Mark Lieberman, nor does it really particularly look like Mark Lieberman. I am Jack Grossman. Uh, Coach and I have, uh, we've had, we've had some scheduling conflicts. You know, I work mostly nights and weekends. He's got a new day job that he's working as well now, but we'll we'll get back on track with Coach Lieberman here soon. Not a long-term thing, but happy, 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 very happy to have my good friend, Cameron Drummond from the Lexington Herald Leader, Kentucky.com. You can follow him on Twitter at CDrummond97. Cameron Drummond, not to be confused with Cameron Fletcher. Welcome to the podcast, my man. Thanks for hopping on today. Now, of course, anytime, anything for you, Jack. You know that we just uh, hung out in Atlanta a couple days ago ahead of the CBS Sports Classic. Had a great time as always. And yeah, kind of funny. You want to go back in the in the time machine, go back to 2016, 17, hop into a, an introduction to sports media class at Indiana University and say that we'd be reunited podcasting about Louisville men's basketball, uh, not to mention this current state of Louisville men's yes. basketball. Um, <laughs> I think uh, I would have scratched my head a little bit and wondered what trajectory my life had taken, but but nonetheless, happy to have this upcoming conversation with you. There's so many different ways you could go back to that and just say, <laughs> I mean, like even the last time we podcasted, which was, you know, the good old double foul podcast while well, we, we were, we, yeah. we were seniors in college, <laughs> was wow. probably the last time we podcasted together or, or did any type of radio thing together. If you would have said even then where Louisville basketball was at now, I think we probably would have both laughed at you. And, and that was even after the Patino stuff happened. That That's after they, they were in the Chris Mack era at that point. It, it, it's crazy how much has changed from that standpoint. But don't worry. I'm not going to ask for uh, any old Logan Duncan takes today. Not, yeah, not, well, we're not yeah. going down that rabbit hole this time. Now, maybe maybe next any, time. Uh, any past comments that were made about Logan Duncan, Christian Lander, uh, you know, Anthony Leal, perhaps, you know, we can, we can just kind of put those off to the side for the next 40 or so minutes. Yeah. 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 No, we're not, we're not going down that alley today, but I am happy to have you on there at Kentucky.com. Uh, Lexington Herald leader, Cam Drummond, of course, with the Louisville Kentucky basketball game coming up here on Thursday, I felt like it was a fitting time to bring you on, especially since you also just wrote a pretty long piece about Kenny Payne and the quote unquote um, ongoing recruiting that's been happening to, uh, with everything. I, I know our guy Rick Bozich has 
pumped that up. And, and you know, to Rick's credit, since that came out, they did get the, the Carter Knox official visit. So they are, you know, actually recruiting, which we can go back and forth on how fruitful any of that will actually be and all that stuff. But I just wanted to get your thoughts, first of all, just kind of because when Louisville hired Kenny Payne, and we'll get in, we'll get into the, the Kentucky game, obviously, the big picture stuff of what the mess of the past week has been. We're gonna get into all of that. Don't worry. <laughs> I've been I've been pining to get in to everything that's happened in the past week or so uh, since Greer and I recorded um, Wednesday morning of last week, <laughs> where right before bleep really hit the fan with Garon Davis stuff and all and, and and all that and everything that happened last Wednesday. But I want to start on the recruiting because we'll use that kind of as a launching point to transition into everything else here. Louisville. When they hired Kenny Payne, the big selling point was he may not have head coaching experience, but he's a guy that under John Calipari did a lot of the yeoman's work recruiting, was known as the big man whisperer with, you know, Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Davis. So very, very long list of accomplished bigs there. And the expectation would be the recruiting would translate and they would have the talent to where you could win and win big. And so far, I mean, you have all the numbers. In, in your article up on Kentucky.com, but it hasn't really translated that way. Yes, they had a top 10 recruiting class nationally this year, but that was what Trent Flowers, who obviously didn't actually make it to the start of the season. He's over in Australia right now. But the year before that, they were the 26th best freshman class, 67th transfer portal class. Last year, they were the 40, or this incoming season, they're the 44th best transfer class in the country. Where do you think has kind of gone wrong on the recruiting standpoint with Kenny Payne and why that hasn't translated the way we a lot of people thought, or rather all, all the KP backers really thought it would when they hired him? Right, yeah. So, I mean, there's a many, you know, in, in college basketball recruiting, and that's my primary beat at the Lexington Herald Leaders covering Kentucky men's basketball recruiting and college basketball recruiting at large. There's a lot of things that always go into individual cases when players don't work out, whether that's, you know, for their actual development and they just don't turn out to be good college players after being good high school players or if it doesn't work at a certain stop but it happens to work better you know at a different stop after they transfer so talent evaluation player development all that stuff is kind of you know the two leading factors for why it doesn't work out for some players and works out for other players so to your point got my handy note sheet here let's kind of rattle some stuff <laughs> off you look back at 2022 so kenny payne comes in comes in you know kind of late in the process in terms of adding freshman commits for the 2022 class but still had several you, you had something uh, i just want to add in the fact that at that point there still was like you do i feel like you have to it's worth mentioning that there still was the fbi cloud at that at that point to where they hadn't you know gotten off scot-free yet from the fbi uh, iarp stuff to where you kind of still you still had that lingering around there as well so i, I do i do feel like that's worth mentioning when it, when it goes for last year's stuff with the 2022 class yeah, so so you look at the players that they brought in, and and three of the four players who came in as freshmen, true freshmen into that class, are no longer at Louisville. You think about Devin Reed, Kamari Lands, and Fabio Basili. Manuel Okorafor is still there. You know, not a significant contributor in terms of minutes, playing time, impact. So really, all four of those guys you can kind of look at as as non needle moving additions. The transfer portal addition of Brandon Huntley Hatfield, who I know we'll talk about later, who has really, you know, over the last we talked about off air month or so, become the most consistent player, possibly Louisville's best player, you know, maybe even outside of Tyler Johnson. So you have those additions come in in 2022. But, you know, four and 28, you can talk to the about the FBI thing, getting your feet wet, you know, whatever. Kenny Payne's never been a head coach before. So even if you're going to give a pass on all that stuff, 
okay, the 2023 class is when Kenny Payne was supposed to come in, really try and bear some fruit from that strong recruiting acumen that you mentioned earlier, dating back to his time at Kentucky. And while 2023 was considered a down year for recruiting across the board, you know, Cal Perry will tell you here at Kentucky that they got the best of the worst and they're doing okay. But that being said, Louisville did have a top 10 freshman recruiting class coming in in 2023. Granted, that did include Trenton Flowers, who was the centerpiece of the class, someone that Louisville prioritized many times. I watched him play several times with both Kenny Payne and Nolan Smith in attendance. But for him to leave in August without even, you know, really getting a fall practice under his belt, obviously falling well short of ever playing for Louisville, you know, that's a massive hit to the impact that this 2023 class could have been. Now, the other centerpiece of the class was Dennis Evans former Minnesota signee, borderline five-star prospect, 7-1, you know, super lean, but has legitimate size, big man. You just mentioned what he did with Cat, what he did with Davis here in Kentucky. But so far, he's been completely hampered by injuries, right? Shoulder injuries kept him out the last four games coming into Thursday night against Kentucky. Um, really minimal in minutes, minimal impact in the minutes that he has played. Now, you have gotten some nice stuff from Tyler Johnson. Curtis Williams had a big game in that blowout over Pepperdine. So you, you've got some things working freshman-wise, you know, relative to what 2022 brought you. That being said, still far below what expectation would have been from Louisville fans, especially after getting Trenton Flowers. And also... So much of recruiting is just optics. You know, you think you're recruiting well, you think you have momentum, or you don't. Louisville clearly doesn't have it right now, even with that Carter Knox visit. Because honestly, I think a lot of people aren't taking the Carter Knox visit very seriously. Um, and, you know, if anyone's been following the, the Carter Knox recruitment or the Knox family, obviously he's a younger brother of Kevin Knox, the one-and-done star at Kentucky, helped lead them to an SEC tournament title six or seven years ago. There's actually a middle Knox brother, Kobe, who plays at South Florida right now another one of the finalists for Carter Knox. But the family itself is very tight to Kenny Payne. You know, they're family friends. So I think a lot of people just kind of looked at that official visit the other weekend as almost like a favor to KP. You know, the seat's red hot, scalding after that Arkansas State game. Let's get something to kind of cool things off, get the administration or, or, you know, the powers that be to maybe not make a snap judgment and fire him. And also, you know, I asked Carter Knox Friday night, you know, in Atlanta after an overtime elite game, hey, would you be interested in Louisville if Kenny Payne wasn't the head coach? And he said no comment. And that kind of maybe tells you all you need to know about that situation. And even if you were to sign at Louisville, you know, we just, I mentioned it with Dennis Evans, former Minnesota signee, released from his NLI, goes to Louisville. Sky Clark, you know, a Louisville player right now, signed with Kentucky. Obviously, I got out of that deal to uh, go to Illinois before he went to Louisville. So that's all to say, even a commitment and even actually signing the national letter of intent certainly doesn't mean what it once used to in college basketball recruiting. So when you look at the totality of everything, not to mention the transfers that came in, the aforementioned Sky Clark, Trey White, who's, uh, you know, been ball dominant, shall we say, coming in from Southern California. Uh, Danilo Jovanovic has not been a factor. Uh, Karan Davis is off the team. That's the only thing we can say with Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, just super disappointing across the board, not only going back to 2022 and what all the buzz was and what people thought KP was going to bring to Louisville from a talent influx and recruiting standpoint, but also the player development, you know, once these guys have gotten on campus. I mean, for as good as Brandon Huntley Hatfield has been, he was at Tennessee before this. He was supposed to be a good player. I mean, I think at this point, and correct me if you have, you know, differing opinions, I think Tyler Johnson is really the only player development success that Kenny Payne and his staff can point to. And it's obviously fallen well short of any expectation or what the standard should be at a program like Louisville. 
I th- I think you can point to BHH in the last in the last month or so because because he had kind of the same issues at Tennessee that he had for a long time at Louisville to where you know he wasn't giving consistent effort. He was trying to you know shoot the three ball as as you know as a legit big man when he clearly was not a great three point shooter. Openly said he wanted to handle the ball and, and do stuff like that. And that's just not who he is. I think Kenny's finally gotten him. It's taken a lot longer than I think people expected. I think that would probably be the biggest knock on that. And, and they didn't really have the time for it to take as long as it's taken for for Brandon. But Kenny's gotten him to embrace being a traditional big man who, you know, is really good on the low block, is aggressive rebounding the ball and does a lot of the dirty things and has started to play more consistent effort. I mean, that's been the biggest issue with him. It's still not perfect, but it's a lot better than it has been. So I think I guess you could give Kenny some credit for Brandon, but like, like, you know, even going back to last year, like Sidney Curry and Roosevelt Wheeler, everyone thought that they were going to take these big strides and now neither one of them are with the program or in high major college basketball. Um, I mean, Emmanuel Corafor, he looks borderline unplayable a lot of the time right now. And it's his second year in the program now, now, and you really haven't seen, I mean, Trey white, they've tried to turn into a spot up shooter, which that's just clearly not what he is. He's, at his best, getting to the bucket and, and pulling up for mid-range jumpers. Sky Clark, I think, needs to play off the ball more in favor of Tyler Johnson at the point. And they and they have they they did start Tyler um in the Pepperdine game, so maybe they're starting to shift to that. But you know, Mike James is a guy that you know has had his moments, but we haven't seen it consistently enough. But I wanna before we get back to to Carter Knox, just just talking about it, I want to ask you this: Where do you think Louisville's class would have been rated if? You, if you take Treadin Flowers out, because obviously he didn't play a minute for the team. He's in Australia. He doesn't really count at, at this point to where you say top 10 class, you're including him. Where do you think Louisville's class would be without him and, yeah. as far as the rankings go? Yeah, so you're going from a top 10 class with Trenton Flowers to like a top 20 class. And again, that's certainly nothing to write home about when you're talking about what was across the board, a down year for recruiting. And just, you know, to, I guess, give the backstory. And in, in recruiting circles, 2025 is seen, 2024 is seen as a really good year, generational year. Cooper Flag going to Duke. You mean 2025? No, twenty. Oh, no, oh, yeah, yeah. It's just flag, flag reclassified to 24. Yeah, yeah. 25 to 24. Yeah, that's right generationally good class because you have a player at the top who many can believe will be the number one overall pick in the NBA draft have an impact at that level as a starter right away teams tanking for him all that stuff 25 is also viewed as a generational class because you have AJ DeBansa who was the top player in 26 moved to 25 after Cooper Flagg moved from 25 to 24 even the 26 class the number one ranked player in the 2026 class and admittedly we are talking about high school sophomores here so a bunch changes is Tyron Stokes who's a Louisville native, plays at a prep school in California. Louisville is one of the many schools, including Kentucky, that have offered him a scholarship. So that's to say there's very good recruiting classes coming down the road to where if you had lost a five-star as part of a four or five-player class in 24, 25, 26, it may not have as much of an impact because there's solid talent and there's depth across the recruiting ranks. Yeah, especially, especially when you didn't get DJ Wagner either. Yeah. And you look at a class like 23, losing Trenton Flowers almost tanks your entire class, especially when he was thought of as the centerpiece, the number one recruit, the top target. And for him to leave to go play in the NBL in Australia, first off, A, makes your team worse. B, the perception becomes that he didn't believe his best way to become an NBA player to get to the next level was by trusting Kenny Payne and the coaching staff. 
Now, we don't have to relitigate the whole I want to be a point guard discussion, relitigate the whole role that they wanted him to play in. But to your point, you look at what Louisville has done offensively, especially this season. You can't tell me that Trenton Flowers at point guard for as bad as that could have been would be worse than a lot of the Sky Clark minutes or worse than a lot of, you know, when Trey White's dominating the ball. Tyler Johnson has shown some nice flashes. You know, I think he's got four or so assists in six games this season. So, you know, maybe there's some potential there. But Trenton Flowers was your best player. And a lot of times, like John Calipari will tell you here at Kentucky, you take the best player, then you figure out a way to acclimate him into the system. You know, one of the famous Calisms that he's brought over the years. And kind of segueing back into Knox in the 24 class, perception's everything in recruiting. Carter Knox has said and told me, you know, specifically many times on the record, the most important thing in his recruitment is to be a one and done and to go into the NBA. You know, recruits a lot of times kind of say the same boilerplate quotes when you ask them what's most important to them about a program. They talk about player development. They talk about style of play, relationship with the coaching staffs. But really the thing that's kind of eating and driving all of that is the desire to go to the NBA, to be a lottery pick to be a first round draft pick, to be put in the best position to make millions and millions of dollars down the road. And thus far, Louisville has shown, you know, essentially no ability to A, produce that under Kenny Payne, and B, if you're a recruit looking from the outside in at this program, and I know Kenny Payne a lot of times in pressers talks about perception, even this morning, he talked about, you know, nobody thinks we have a chance against Kentucky. Well, why would a recruit ever think that going to Louisville currently under this coaching staff and this head coach is going to elevate you to a first-round draft pick, is going to elevate you to be ready for that next level. I mean, you even look at the players that they lost this past offseason. L. Ellis goes to Arkansas. Jalen Withers goes to North Carolina. Both have played in every single game for those high-major, high-quality teams this season. And even after, you know, the CBS Sports Classic in Atlanta over the weekend, people are talking about how Jalen Withers should have been playing more for North Carolina in a top-10 matchup. People were people were saying that? Who was saying that? I, I, saw, I, saw, I saw Kentucky... You know, and I like Jalen Withers. He's a good kid. I mean, he's in that game too. Not that that's the end all be all stat, but the fact that there's even discourse about a player who used to play at Louisville, he should have played more against Kentucky in a CBS Sports Classic game. But I mean, I I felt like I felt like Kentucky took advantage of him on both ends of the court a lot. Like they put him in a lot of ball screens late in that game, and they they really attacked him with with their guards. And on the other end, they kind of left him as, uh, we dare you to hit open shots to beat us, and he couldn't do it. Like, I felt like like he was kind of the weak link for North Carolina in that game, to be quite honest. Like, I I, I don't want to pile on on him because he's done really good things for the Tar Heels this year, and he's been a serviceable good player that started games for them. But in that game... Late when it got into crunch time, it was let's pick on Jalen Withers on the defensive end and then let's make him beat us on the offensive end. And Carolina couldn't get a stop and Withers didn't make him pay for it. Well, sure. So, I mean, Jalen, the Jalen Withers of it aside, the fact is that Louisville has not been able to bring in a top talent, be players that have gotten demonstrably better since being there. You know, see players that have elevated their stock at Louisville to go from either transfers to likely NBA draft picks. And and go for class as well. You have Carter Knox, who has Louisville in his top four. It's Louisville, the NBA's G League Ignite program, that direct-to-pro option. Kentucky and South Florida, where one of his older brother plays. You have Bryson Tucker, a small forward who plays at Bishop O'Connell High School in Virginia. And then you have Sekou Kone, who's a power forward from Wisconsin. Tucker, solid player, 
solid four-star player, small forward, still considering Louisville, although he did recently in November take an official visit to Kansas. Kane is a lot more of a mystery, shall we say. You know, ranked three stars by 247 Sports. I don't think any other major recruiting service has him ranked. Louisville's his only Power 5 offer. The rest are like the Loyola Chicago's of the world, the Wisconsin Milwaukee's of the world, Indiana State's of the world. Take an official visit to Louisville in November. But it's really him. It's really Knox. Obviously, they have TJ Robinson, who's their only commit for next year, but he didn't sign during the early signing period. And he's been committed since October 2022. That's a pretty big, you know, big red flash and arrow that he's got some hesitancy, not only about the program and its ability to get him to the next level, but also about if Kenny Payne's going to be the head coach come 2024. Um, so when you look at all of that, especially in what's considered to be a good recruiting year, it doesn't look like that's going to work out well for Louisville in terms of true freshmen coming in with highly touted reputations and this assuming Kenny Payne makes it through this year and assuming he would be the coach for 24-25 that's three straight recruiting classes 2022's FBI understood and late in the cycle aside but that's still three recruiting classes where he hasn't delivered and hasn't demonstrably made a majority of his players better since arriving in Louisville yeah he also barring something stunning will not be the head coach for that third for that third class i mean and, and that's kind of where it goes with all of this like you said it with carter knox like no one's taking the visit seriously like it, it seems like knox is almost a pawn in just kenny trying to give them a reason to get the job it, it it's uh it it feels like a pity visit like i'll just say it. It, it just feels like a pity visit for carter knox and like i'm not blaming the kid on that i mean Go take the free visit, have fun, you know, get your free swag, get your, you know, get, get your food, get, go out, have the Louisville's a fun place to go out and have, have a weekend. I'm sure they'll show them a good, they showed them a good time. I'm um, uh, not too good of a time though with, uh, you know, <laughs> the past. Words right out of my mind. Yeah. Yeah. As I said, I was like, Ooh, maybe the wrong school to say that with, but I'm um, sorry, but, but um. I don't blame him for taking the visit. Like you might as well. You got the visits. It's free. Do it. But from from Kenny Payne's point of view, why is this happening now? When right. the and pressure, when I, will, and I will say, when we asked Carter Knox about the visit, he did insist that this had been scheduled for several months in advance. That he was always planning to visit Louisville along with the rest of his finalists. I think he's targeting a February visit, if I'm not mistaken, for Kentucky. He visited South Florida earlier this season. Um, but yeah, I mean, Carter Knox and the Knox family can say that this was scheduled in advance, that they were always going to come. But for the news to break a day after the Arkansas State game, right? You know that. Yeah look great for the news to break right as we're getting all the reports and rumors swirling about Kenny Payne being ousted before that Pepperdine game for it to come at a time now when attendance is at an all-time program low and they're scanning less than 5,000 tickets for Louisville games it's just one of those things where it doesn't quite add up and you can't help but think that it's almost like a you know a, a favor done to, to Kenny Payne from a family that's been loyal to him and the Knox family is very loyal you know to to throw him this bone if you will and say hey wait Let's stop this progress or process of initiating a firing or a termination or a separation because we have a five star on campus. And now when you have Carter Knox, you know, not coming out and saying, I'm still going to consider Louisville, even if KP is not the head coach, you're right. Pawn is almost the word that comes to mind or, you know, something, oh, you can't fire him because this may not happen. And so, yeah, it's, it, it's a really difficult situation to kind of gauge because of all these factors. I, I give credit to the majority of Louisville fans on this one because they've kind of called the bluff on it, if that makes sense. Yeah, like like it, it, it feels like the first time that I've seen I, – I, I'll put it this way. If 
if that visit happened in October, let's say they choose middle of October, the weekend that Louisville football hosted Notre Dame. Sellout crowd, great atmosphere, biggest one in Jeff Brom's first year. When you want recruits to be visiting. Right, well, which I get. I understand you wanting them to visit for basketball games. I, I do understand that. But if you would have said, if you would have done that in October before everything that's happened already this season, people would have gotten excited. They would have not fully bought back in, but there would have been the segment of people that would have said, here's tangible evidence for why Kenny Payne will work long term if you do that in mid October. It also probably helped he wouldn't have lost to a division school too at that time then as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he lost it, it wouldn't have happened. And I and I do want to say, you know, we, you mentioned the, the ongoing recruiting comment earlier and, and how that's kind of become a joke in, in Louisville basketball circles. I will say the staff does seem to actually still be recruiting. And like, not to say recruiting is ongoing, but it kind of is. You know, just, just last weekend, even before the Carter Knox visit, Tay Kinney, who's who's one of the most promising prospects in Kentucky in the 2026 class, was playing in Northern Kentucky. He's he's from Newport High School, made the Sweet 16 last year as a freshman. He specifically pointed to Josh Jameson as his you know relationship connector guy at Louisville, the coach that he's talking to the most. I mentioned Nolan Smith watching not only um, Tyron Stokes, the 2026 standout who's from Louisville, but also A.J. DeBansa, the generational 25 prospect. You know, Nolan Smith has been seen recruiting in other places as well. So they're out there. They're getting their faces. They're clearly forming relationships with kids. But it does feel like when you think even about 25, 26, you know, you got to get to 2024 first. And uh, and that's the kind of the cloud that's hanging over it. And, and I try to, you know, touch on this in my piece as well. If you dismiss Kenny Payne as the head coach at any point, it's not like you're losing this kind of generational recruiting hall. You know, this isn't like Rutgers firing Steve Peichel this year before they have two top three players coming in in 24. You almost have nothing in the cupboard right now. So taking, you know, taking Kenny Payne away doesn't eliminate anything for next year. If anything, it's almost like one of those, um, you know, those like fires that they set to like kill off all the dead trees. And it's like a natural yeah. burn. It, that's kind of the, the vibe I've been thinking about or the comparison I've been thinking about in my head with this. You're not actually losing any kind of a forest or, or anything. You're just almost setting the, setting the slate clean, letting a coach come in and actually completely mold this program from both the recruiting and transfer portal standpoint. Now, what quality of coach they could get to do that is a different question. But those are the that's to say that firing Kenny Payne isn't going to nuke some generational recruiting class or even the promise of one. Which, which I think that's what they're trying to sell by, you know, getting the visit and getting him on campus at, at, at this point in time is that they're trying to sell that Carter Knox is the general piece he can't afford to lose. And we're telling you that Carter Knox is a great player. He's a five-star. He's a legit top 15 recruit. We saw him, you know, you saw him twice at OTE last week. I saw him once on Thursday night and he looked really damn good. He was really impressive. Three level score, you know, can, can use a little bit of work on the defensive end, but what 17, 18 year old couldn't, but has all the pieces athletically. Great, great, great looking shot. John, I think he, he's going to be a really good player, probably at Kentucky <laughs> one way or another, but, but, He's not the type of guy that you're going to give Kenny Payne a third year just because of him. Right. He's nor is he a player that could come in and almost all in his own carry right. to an NCAA. It's all it's almost like, you know, when Tom Crean and I love Tom Crean. I, I do. I just know. Yes. Yes. I mean that that's a brand. You know, there's a Tom Crean bobblehead behind me somewhere. I don't know if it actually makes it in with the uh, you know, because we we cut the frames a little bit here, but but there is one, I promise. But the year he had Anthony Edwards. 
And there were all those expectations. Even had Severe Wheeler, who's still in college and has led the SEC in assists at two different schools, one of them being being Kentucky, and is having a pretty good season for Washington right now. I mean, think of any, even any player who goes on to be the number one overall pick. Cade Cunningham at Oklahoma State couldn't lift them to anything. They they, they were a force that year. That's completely different than Anthony Edwards being under 500 or Ben Simmons being in the NIT or Mark Helpful winning eight eight games. I mean, Cade Cunningham's a very, very different conversation that they were legitimately a four seed in that tournament. Well, I will say, but here's the thing Carter Knox isn't close to one of those players. He's not as anything like the number one overall pick in the NBA draft come 2025. That's not what Cardinox is going to be, at least right now. A player who you mentioned has strong offensive game, needs to really alter his shot diet, you know, really needs to get to more efficient spots. You mentioned the defensive effort. That's something they're trying a lot with him at Overtime Elite. They're really focusing on him. I believe the comparison as head coach gave me was Ron Artest on defense and Paul Pierce on offense. Um, but a guy who, again, can get to the mid-range, make his jumper, can become automatic. But he's not, you know, a program savior, I don't think, by any stretch. So even if, you know, that we're not even talking about even that kind of a player that Kenny Payne could potentially, still a strong, potentially, land. So these are just all arguments kind of working in the favor of, you know, you're, you're not risking anything to the program's future by firing him as head coach. In fact, you may even be doing the opposite by maintaining him. Yep. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. As you guys know by now, we've partnered with BetMGM Sportsbook for this college basketball season. We're going to be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks and predictions throughout the college basketball season. And we are going to have special offers for you, the listeners and the viewers on the field of 68 each and every week during the season. If you haven't signed up with BetMGM yet, use the bonus code FIELD1500 and you will get up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager on BetMGM Sportsbook. Here's what you got to do. Download the BetMGM app. Sign up using the bonus code FIELD1500. Deposit at least $10 and place your first wager on any game. You will receive up to $1,500 in bonus bets if that bet loses. Just make sure you use the bonus code FIELD1500 when you sign up. And remember, BetMGM is now available under one wallet in select states. As a New Jersey resident, this is super convenient for me when I have to go cover games in New York or Philly. When across the state borders, just log into your existing account instead of having to create new accounts in each state that you go to. And most importantly, I got to let you know, 
We do have some fun stuff coming up for this college basketball season. Bet insurance tokens, college hoops odds boosts, my personal favorite, parlay odds boosts. So download the BetMGM app today. When Greer and I recorded last week, I gave the take of, because Jeff was very, I don't think adamant's the right word, but he, he had the feeling that they would make a move after the Kentucky game. And and that's not like trying to break news or anything that just, you know, just two guys trying to guess what they think is going to happen. And my thought process at that time was, was because of who Kenny is, being the former player, winning the championship and all the pressure there was to hire him, that they would, and also the fact that whether it's him or Nolan Smith or whoever coaching that team, it's not really going to make that much of a difference for this year that they would maybe not give him the full year, but give him a, a much longer leash in terms of either moving on from him, like maybe mid-January, February, or, or at the end of the season. To see the shift less than 24 hours after recording that podcast and publishing it, it, it it's not even about the Arkansas State game for me. Like, that was utterly embarrassing and pathetic on a lot of levels. Getting, you know, being down 20 to a team that's three and seven. That, that's bad. That's just, it, it's inexcusable. It, it's ridiculous. But for me, the bigger indication on that, and that speaks a lot to where getting blown out at home by a three and seven Arkansas State team is not the biggest thing that angered you that day about that program. <laughs> but the Karan Davis situation of him, of, of, of them not being able to handle that, such a simple thing correctly, of, him tweeting out first his report card, then, hey, I'm going to be at this doubleheader, uh, a women's basketball game, then a men's game in the stands, just supporting the teams. To Louisville releasing that he's transferring, to, to Karan tweeting out that, no, I'm not transferring. I don't know where they're getting this from. To then Louisville saying they're kicking him off the team. That was just... And I'm not I'm not necessarily blaming like like Zach Greenwell or like the PR staff on that. And I mean that's a clear message coming from the coaching staff of this is the wording we want to have. Like Zach Greenwell isn't going to take take a guy that says, Hey, I've been kicked off the team and go by himself and say, We're going to call it a transfer and try to make it look better for the kid. That comes directly from the coaching staff. That's that's coming from Kenny Payne. That's a situation that if you're going to do that, which, you know, we've brought up a, a Rick Bozich said that that happened for a couple of guys after last year's team. You need to have all your ducks in a line with Karan Davis and tell him, this is what we're doing. Are you good with this? Do you want to follow along with this narrative? And that's not exactly telling the truth, but it's saving face for the kid. And, and like, you can respect that, but for that not to be the case and for Karan to go and say, I'm not transferring, this isn't where it came out, that just sends this whole thing absolutely nuclear. Well, like the kind of icing on that cake too is he's a community college transfer. Yeah. He wasn't playing anyway. He was not a factor on this team. He never played for Louisville, correct? Well, he was only on the bench for two games. So, right. so UMBC and Chattanooga. <laughs> so all this trouble for, for what? To what and it kind of follows in the line with the the PR missteps again maybe not necessarily directly anyone in Louisville PR sports communications fault but just 
And a lot of it probably falls on Kenny Payne's fault for what he says in press conferences. And, you know, it's funny talking with people, you know, reporters in Atlanta when we were all there covering the CBS Sports Classic. Just so many weird things have happened this Louisville season. You almost start to to lose track of them. I know I do. I mean, it feels like Trenton Flowers was a billion years ago. It feels like the tights incident with Tyler Johnson was a billion years ago. I mean, just this morning, we had Kenny Payne talking about how he's cool just beating Kentucky and John Calipari by one while Cal wants to beat him down. And while, yeah, this is, you know... It's almost like he doesn't understand kind of the gravity or the the mocking nature that comes with a lot of the comments he makes, the getting tricked by Mike Woodson when Indiana went to zone in New York City. Um, it's just misstep after misstep. And after, you know, enough of these, and there were certainly plenty of those in the four and 28 season as well, you start to wonder if the, if Kenny Payne's not doing a good enough job, and he probably isn't, honestly, of the messaging around the program and, and just the comments that he says and not realizing almost like the impact that it has on a fan base that, you know, has suffered through what a nine and 38. And, and, and that, and that's the thing, like the fan base has gone through the ringer here. Like it's been, we're working on close to a decade of Louisville fans having to go through, through the BS of, of all the scandals and all that stuff to where the product on the floor is one thing and it's inexcusable and it's terrible. And that's the number one reason why I don't think he should get a year three and why I don't really think he's going to make it that much longer, but, but to have to mess up such simple communications so many times to me it, it's just the fan base is tired of that and, and i think people around the program are tired of that and that's something that you can't keep doing you can't you can't butcher things that are just so simple to get correctly and, I, and i'm not even talking about the decision to kick him off the team i i don't know the details behind that but if you feel like like you need to kick him off the team then either try to save face and and communicate that with Karan and just say, you know, we're going to save your transfer and try to help you out a bit. And if he's good with that, go ahead and do that. But if not, you just got to come out and say you're you're dismissing him from the team. And it just makes everything else so much easier. And for Louisville to not be able to do the easy things correctly is just tiresome and infuriating and just – exhausting i mean it's exhausting to follow that program with everything that goes wrong with them it is even when you think about the stuff that's not necessarily basketball adjacent like even the actual basketball stuff this was kind of like i'm not going to come out and say that i thought louisville was going to be this bad this year and there has been you know certainly signs of progress five and six is way better than four and 28 right But but it's not good enough Right, obviously. But earlier this season, I was try- I was doing a story, also you can read it at Kentucky.com, Kentucky.com slash sports, where I took a look at the entire assistant coaches for Kentucky and Louisville. The genesis for it was how much money do they make, who's spending more, who's investing more. Spoiler alert, Kentucky's investing more, and Kentucky's investing more by a lot. But over the offseason, the NCAA had a rule change where you could have five assistant coaches now. Only three of them can recruit off campus. So you have to designate your three to do that. For Louisville, that's Nolan Smith, that's Josh Jamison, and that's Danny Manning. But you can have five on the benches for games. So Kentucky goes out, 
Bruiser Flint goes from special assistant to the head coach into a role that designates him as an assistant coach for game purposes. Now, the real the real haymaker that Calipari did this offseason, probably a big reason for Kentucky's early season success with young players, is he went out and got John Welch. You know, very accomplished assistant coach, very accomplished shooting coach, Jim Rat. You, you show up to Rupp Arena two and a half hours before games. He's putting Reed Shepard and Jordan Burks and Rob Dillingham through the paces. You know, 64-year-old guy, absolutely loves that stuff. Kenny Payne took two existing staff members, Gabe Snyder, the guy who heads up the analytics and video department, and Milt Wagner, obviously the director of player development, alumni relations, Louisville National basketball. National championship. Legend, yes. Father. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Those two guys who are already in the Louisville program and elevates them to assisting coaching spots on the bench in games. That shows... I mean, even if you truly believe that they're going to help you win more games and the jury's, you know, obviously still out on that beyond the actual one more win, that just shows a lack of soliciting outside opinions to get better. A la- even back to the question that he answered, I believe, at the ACC tournament last year, a lack of acknowledging and accepting responsibility for what's occurred and the need to, like, self-improve. If that yeah, I mean, sense. like he was asked, I forget if it was after the ACC tournament or just in a post game or postseason like wrap up presser, asked if he was going to change his staff. And he looked like kind of bewildered that anyone would even bring that up. And I'm like, dude, you went, you went four and 28. <laughs> like, of course, that question is going to be asked. I mean, Vince Tyra, you know, went to Chris Mack after Louisville barely missed the NCAA tournament a couple years ago and basically told him, yo, I know Luke Murray and Dino Gatti are your dudes. And he didn't tell tell him to specifically fire those guys, but there was a lot of pressure put on the administration to Chris Mack to make coaching changes. And that led to him getting rid of Luke Murray and Dino Gatti. And obviously the whole extortion thing that there is all in a side, but no, that's another chapter. But, but the thought that Kenny Payne is just like, was stunned that anyone would even bring up the fact that, Hey, maybe you could use a different voice in the locker room as an assistant. It is just like, he seems like he feels like he's doing it correctly. And then you're nine and 30, 34 at this point. And it's just, I know you took over a terrible situation, but it's gotta be better than this. And if they would have gone out and I've said this before, if they would have gone out last season and started five and six, and showed effort and competed in in some of the games in Maui and just not rolled over and start 0 and 9. People would have been perfectly happy that that they'd said, look, it's not where we want it to be, but it's year one. They're showing improvement. It's better than what it was last year when you went 13 and 19. You may only win 15 games, but it's a foundational block. When you go 4 and 28 first, you don't get to do that in year two. You, you just don't. Before it's begun. Yeah. And and you know. You have to be, I've said this many times, you got to be on the bubble to, to to be able to show, you know, your Louisville basketball. And the thing I always go back to is if you would have told anyone year one or, or day one when they hired Kenny Payne and said four and 28 year one, five and six to start year two, and all the outside nonsense has gone on, do you think he deserves year three? Not one person would say yes at that moment. Or even if you were to present this hypothetical to a Louisville basketball fan, just say it's Coach X. You know how we do the bubble comparison, the blind tests? If Coach X did this, uh, and we're in, what, we're December 20th, tomorrow will be December 21st, the Kentucky game. Um, Does he deserve to keep coaching? Especially, and he talked a lot in his pressure this morning ahead of the Kentucky game about effort, fight, 
you know, believing that if Louisville does the things yeah. that he Dude, knows- you're in the middle of year two. I mean, you got to be beyond that at this point. Right. He's ta- he's preaching things that should be basic tenets that should be non-negotiables, you know, just fighting, trying hard. And, and also to think that that and to say that that is going to be enough to have you compete competitively, you know, to really be in a game with Kentucky. I mean, I, I think I'm, I'm sure you're in the same boat as me. Tomorrow night should not be close. I think I, I'm under the standpoint of I, I know the, the the quote from Wednesday morning's presser from Kenny saying going against Calipari, we probably both don't want to be in this situation because we have had so many years together. But at the end of the day, I know he wants to beat me down and I want to win the game by one and I'm happy. And that's you know, you said it earlier. I felt like just saying the full quote was worth saying, just you know, make sure we get all the context and stuff. And that's not the first time Kenny's said that quote either he said that before the season started last year also so like that's doubling down on that quote that you know does not make anyone happy on the louisville side to hear that quote that you only want to win by one i i understand from the standpoint like if louisville actually won the game by a point the city would be ecstatic by that (laughs) i I don't oh yeah oh yeah the city would be on fire if that happens but I would be on fire because of all the Kentucky fans that are going to be at the Yum Center tomorrow night. <laughs> so I, I want to ask you about that, but but I'll yeah. ask you about that in a sec. But but so I understand from that standpoint, but I, I truly do think that Calipari is going to take it easier on Kenny, kind of like kind of kind of like they did last year, to where they'll run out to a big lead, kind of take the foot off the pedal. They he doesn't want to em- embarrass someone that he's you know personally friends with with um uh that you know that's in a really tough spot right now to where I'd, i'm not expecting them to win by 40 50 points or anything like that but that uh, you know i the spread ken palm has it by 13 it'll probably be closer to i would think 18 or 19 and i think that that's probably a fair number if you're gambling here on on a bet mgm here at the field of 68 um uh um uh you know use them they're our sponsors but but um I think that would be probably what I'm expecting. I don't think it's going to get too, too ugly and get and get that out of hand because I just don't think Cal wants to do that to Kenny at this stage. As much as he wants to be down low, he doesn't want to, you know, make things that much worse for his friend. But I do want to – That's a well, pat on the head. Yes, of course it's a pat on the head. That's the whole issue. You're getting pats on the head from John Calipari in Kentucky. That's where to- Louisville's at as a program right now. You want to take a guess how many I, I, I'm assuming you haven't scrolled the whole thing, but how many what Ken Palm has Louisville going this season in terms of how many how many more wins they Ken Palm thinks Louisville it's something will like two or three. They are projected to win one more game. That's right. It's Notre Dame at home, right? It's Notre Dame at home. And they got a 50 50 shot uh, for the Georgia Tech game. The, the one the, the one that they won last year as well. Yes. The Flint Michigan Mega Bowl. But that's it. Everything yes. else, on Ken, everything else on Ken Palm yeah. is Louisville with a forty-one percent chance or worse. Yeah, I mean, Kenny Payne might get the big ovation he'll get all year, year uh, on Thursday night. That would be because it's going to be Kentucky fans. So, so, so here's my thing on on the Kentucky fans. That this will be your first Louisville Kentucky game in the Yum Center, so you haven't experienced it before. For on, 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 on the men's side, the last but, game was Louisville win there, correct? Um, yes, yes, because yeah. it was um. Uh, it was the it was the COVID year with Chris Mack and and Cardell Jones that team. So yes, they did win the last time they were there. Um, but I'm trying to make sure that's correct because I know. Yes, that is correct. It it it, it seems like so long ago at this point to be it, honest. Yeah. But, but yes, that was only a couple of years ago because they canceled the game the next year because Louisville had COVID. Um. um 
I, I say I, I shouldn't have used the the quotation marks there. They did they did have COVID, but but uh, that that was a bad thing to do on my end. I apologize, but. But then obviously the game was at Rupp last year and then and then in Louisville uh, this season. So, yes, last time was Louisville. Louisville actually won. This will be the first time that they've had full capacity at the um, center for a Louisville-Kentucky game going back to 2018-19, which is kind of crazy to think about. <laughs> it's been that long because of, you know, everything that happened with the pandemic and all, and, and all that stuff. But I think – on the basketball side, you know, everyone makes the big deal over blue gets in and all that stuff. And, and don't get me wrong. Kentucky has strong showings in, in, in the young center and before that freedom hall traditionally. But the thought process that it's usually like a 50, 50 crowd, or like there's more Kentucky fans than Louisville fans at those games. It, it's asinine. It just is. It, it's, it's Kentucky travels well to that game. And they, like they travel well to, to literally every road game they play. That's what that's what BBN does. They're they're crazy, as, as Calipari would say. But it's usually about a 75%, 80%, 85%, probably 80-ish is, is the good way, uh, right, right number to put it. It's probably about 80% Louisville fans. It will not be that on Thursday night. <laughs> I, I, I think every stereotype of the blue gets in thing is going to be an explosion. It's going to be absolutely as I have. Before I give my number, how many, what percentage of the crowd do you expect to be Kentucky fans on Thursday night? So capacity at the Yum Center, assuming they sell all the tickets and, and what they're not going to sell all the tickets. Capacity is 22,090. I'm thinking at least, 15,000 Kentucky fans. So, I mean, let's shave a little bit off that. Let's say they get 20,000 people in there, you know, 75% Kentucky fan, three to four, I think. And this will look, I mean, I, I guess you won't be able to tell, but this is supposed to be a red out for Louisville. We were just talking about it off air that I think two days ago, they announced that this was going to be a red out, you know, encouraging students to go get their free red T-shirts for Louisville fans to to wear red in the crowd. And I'm not even I mean, I'm, I certainly don't think you'll be able to tell because assuming blue gets in in the way that everyone seems to think and the way that ticket sales have reflected, it's going to be a lot of fans in blue, a lot of fans in white and kind of adding to what we've discussed about maybe the optics of the program, A, from a recruiting standpoint, and B, from a Kenny Payne messaging standpoint. This is also a game that's going to be on ESPN, like the big ESPN. And not yeah. that that should matter at all, but it does matter because you're going to have a million more people tuning in from across the country just because it's on a convenient channel. They're probably going to watch and you know, with almost morbid curiosity to see what a Kentucky-Louisville game looks like when Louisville is this bad, when it's at Louisville and it's going to be full of Kentucky fans. And Kenny Payne was asked this pretty directly Um in his press conference this morning about you know the the idea that there might be 70 percent 75 percent kentucky fans in there we know this morning at practice they piped in crowd noise which is an insane i've never heard of a all right so so, so on the crowd noise thing sure yeah I so know you were fired up about this so there's two ways i look at this number one holy crap they're piping in crowd noise for a home game what the hell that 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 just says so much of that standpoint but but I don't fault him too much at this because I, I sit there and look at and I say, how many big crowds has Louisville played in front of this year? Mm, in, in, in their home games, they've all been empty. In the two games in MSG, the Texas game, everyone there was a UConn or Indiana fan. I mean, it was completely a ghost town for Texas Louisville. The next day against Indiana, yes, Indiana brought a decent amount of people, but UConn was probably 70% of that building. 
up in MSG, if not more. And for the so, UConn, so even yeah, it. so even though IU probably traveled decently well for a Midwestern school in New York City, like it, that's still not a a sellout atmosphere by any by any stretch. Then your two road games, Virginia Tech, they got some. They, they actually had a pretty good crowd there. That's probably the one time Louisville's played in a in an arena that's had seventy five percent or more capacity that's actually filled in. And then DePaul, where there was literally no one at the game. There was one, so, there was one, one man in the student section. We should give him his proper his proper credit. I I have, I have a friend that I grew up with here in Louisville that flew from Atlanta to Chicago to Chicago to go to that game. That was the bus. That was the bus trip game. It, yeah, I don't think they brought. I gotta ask him if they brought the bus trip up. And like I, I mean, he also like he lived in Chicago for a few years. So he has a bunch of friends up there, so he kind of made it a trip for that. I feel like more than anything else. But I'm like, I'm like. Yeah, that's and, and like I love Chicago. Chicago is an awesome city, but like that's a that's a lot for a Louisville DePaul, and and I feel bad that he that he went to that game. To be honest, he's uh, he's one of my better friends, but but I mean, there's no one at these games. So from that standpoint, which I don't know if there'll be fifteen thousand fans at this game game, but it's going to be by far the biggest crowd Louisville's had. And I know Brooks Holden of the Career Journal had a really good piece. Um, piece up uh either today or yesterday where he talked about the attendance at louisville games i mean and, the fact that reporters who cover your college basketball program have and i know this from talking to them have made it a tradition or a routine after every home game to foia for yeah. the actual amount of scanned tickets not to mention that i mean on espn the reported attendance for for these games at Louisville self-reports, which is, you know, different from scanned tickets. Scanned tickets right. is who enters the building. Total attendance is just tickets. You know, we're talking less than 5,000 scanned tickets while reporting an attendance of greater than 10,000. That's, I mean, even beyond the, the the pity amount of people that are showing up to watch the product on the court, that's 5,000 people who purchased tickets and either couldn't sell them or made the decision to not go. We know Louisville fans. Oh, I mean, I, I, I mean, I'll say this. I mean, football who refuse to go to basketball games now. Yeah. I mean, I'll say this. I mean, my family still has season tickets. I can tell you my dad and my brother that they will actually be there on Thursday night for the game, which will be interesting. But they have not gone to a lot of those games this the year. One game that's worth it. What was that? Oh, and it appears we lost. I said, I mean, this was one game that's worth it. And if anything else, this is the one game. That's one of the that's one of the reasons that maybe Blue's going to get in so well on Thursday too is just because it's going to be the game that you can sell your tickets for and make some of that money back off a season ticket package. Yeah, but I mean, like you know, I have you know some of my best friends have 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 uh, have tickets through like worker stuff, and they can't their companies can't give the tickets away to people. But I mean, you know, and but I'll say this, and I won't spoil all of uh, Brooks Holden's um, work here. But the one thing that stood out to me was. During Payne's first 24 home games at the helm at, at Louisville, they've the highest amount that they've had, they've only been over half capacity once in those 24 home games. And that was when they sold almost 1,100 tickets, or rather had almost 1,100 tickets scanned when they beat Clemson and honored the 2013 national title team last year. So for me, I, like I don't, I, I don't, I don't think there'll be 20,000 people there on Thursday night. I think it'll reflect more that type of crowd because that was, you know, a special occasion for Louisville. Obviously that team's very beloved, if not controversial for, for, uh, 
for other reasons, but in terms of like the fan base itself, very, very, very beloved honoring those guys. That, that was something that a lot of people didn't think they would get to be able to do. And even for that game, you're only getting 1100 scan tickets. So I kind of view that saying, okay, if that's kind of the benchmark there, I don't know if, if, if this Kentucky game will top it, but I think somewhere in the 10, 11, 12,000 range, I think will be the total crowd. And of those probably 9,000 of them will be Kentucky fans. I mean, I, I think it'll be probably 75%, 80%, which is completely embarrassing on Louisville standpoint, but that says where the program is at this point. <laughs> that That's where it's at, and, and I don't need to beleaguer the attendance at that point. I'm not, I'm not exactly blaming Louisville fans on that. It's just the product is is, is sad sack POS is what, is what it is right now. That's, that's And one of the ways to look at it, too, is just why reward what – is being put out there by actually attending the game and paying money and e- even becoming invested. I mean, yeah. to the point of like, we know people who have Louisville tickets who don't go to Louisville basketball games anymore because it's bad. And how do you affect change? You know, like, you know, how do people, you know, compl- who, who don't agree with companies and certain policies affect change by boycotting, you know, by yeah. not purchasing the product, by not consuming it, you know, people not going to Louisville games or even watching on ESPN or even ESPN plus this, this is just their version of that. And it's the correct thing to do. You know, how are you going to make it um, untenable for, for the product to stay this poor and for, in some, you know, some people's opinion, Kenny Payne to, to stay employed. Don't show up to the games. Don't, you know, make it embarrassing, right? Like have blue come in, have Kentucky fans dominate and maybe get the attention of Josh Herder or accelerate the process. If nothing else, I, I think it, it could be a new low tomorrow. With with how many Kentucky fans fans that it seems like are going to be in the Yum Center, it very well could be a new low, low for Louisville to get run by that and have that many Kentucky fans with how much hatred there is between the two fan bases and all that stuff. And we'll have another I'll have another episode coming out on, that we're going to record on Friday where I, where I really want to lean in to that aspect of it. So I want to save some of that stuff, kind of where the state of the rivalry is and all that, but. Before we get out of here, Cam, again, Cam Drummond, Lexington, Herald Leader, Kentucky.com. Really appreciate you hopping on the podcast today. I let, Let's humor ourselves a minute and actually talk about the game for, for a moment or, or, or sure. two or three. But so the two things that I kind of look at as far as like, first of all, again, I think Kentucky's going to win this game by about you know, 18, 20 points. I don't think it's going to be particularly competitive. But the two things that I see that kind of stand out to me for Louisville in this game. Number one is, is Brandon Huntley Hatfield matchup with Aaron Bradshaw. If Louisville has any prayer in this game and, and you got Anyenzo, who I assume is still, you know, overcoming that, that flu like sickness, whatever it was played nine, 10 minutes. It was an absolute force against Carolina on Saturday in Atlanta, but can Brandon Huntley Hatfield have the success he's been having against Bradshaw and, and you got Anyenzo. I mean, that's been the discussion all season for Kentucky is how do they work the big guys back in? How do they work the big guys back in? Well, they work the big guys back in against Carolina. And yes, Armando Baycott hasn't been the same Armando Baycott this year, but they did a really, really, really good job on Armando Baycott. And, and can Huntley Hadfield have the same type of success against a Kentucky team that has found it's interior defense by getting those two seven footers back and, and has rim protection now that they didn't have earlier in the year. 
Yeah, and we were just talking about this, or I was mentioning to you, I think, earlier that, you know, Brandon Huntley-Hatfield has been one of the two or three bright spots, impressive players for Louisville this season. And even if, even the last two games in particular, I know this is taken into account an Arkansas State game that many people don't want to relive, but you look at Brandon Huntley-Hatfield's individual performances, 23 rebounds across those two games, four blocks across those two games, 20 points in each of those games. You know, he's emerging as, as a player that can be dependable for Louisville. Now this will obviously be a completely different test against the the most stern opposition around the basket that he's had this year something that I'm interested in seeing kind of going along with that acclimating the big men point from the Kentucky perspective that you introduced is can Brandon Huntley Hatfield get Kentucky's bigs into foul trouble one of the only reasons that Ugana and Yenso played so early in that Carolina game and so frequently in that Carolina game and did well in his minutes, especially given, you know, returning from the foot injury, the surgery, you know, having the flu symptoms is because Aaron Bradshaw was in foul trouble, you know, picked up two fouls in the first half, sat pretty quickly, picked up, I believe his fourth foul very, very early in the second half, had to sit again. You look at Brandon Huntley Hatfield in terms of all individuals in college basketball, according to Ken Palm, he's a top 35 player in free throw rate. Now, him actually getting to the line and making those free throws, 75%. You know, you take enough. that for a big guy. You absolutely yeah, take that yeah. for a big man. But, and that's probably a way you can, ex and if I'm Kenny Payne and I'm drawing up a scouting report, that's one of the ways I think you can exploit Kentucky, especially early on, because you're still dealing with Ugan Onion. So working his way back into shape, hasn't been able to do a ton of, of practice work relative to his teammates. This is still going to be Aaron Bradshaw's fourth college game. He's still getting used to, you know, not only his body, because he's more of, you know, the finesse perimeter player banging low on the inside, but just the speed of the college game. I know he was great against Penn. You know, I did some nice things against Carolina, too. But this is all still a bit new to him. And then Trey Mitchell, Kentucky wants to operate him more as a facilitator. You know, maybe Brandon Huntley-Hatfield. He's probably not going to win that experience battle when you think about two guys who have been co around college basketball for a while. But, you know, that's at least a lane, right, that Louisville can maybe try and do some good things. Now, part of the problem with that matchup is if Aaron Bradshaw starts hitting some three-pointers as well. I'll be really interested to see how Huntley Hatfield can guard him on the perimeter, assuming that matchup does occur. But also, when you think about it on the other end, Huntley Hatfield, while he's not taking three-pointers, and that's a good thing from the Louisville perspective because he can't make them, that significantly decreases you know, the kind of mobility that Aaron Bradshaw is going to have to have to defend him just because he's a total non-threat from distance. And I'll also add, I would say the only other time this year Louisville's gone up against a front line that's you know that has the type of length Kentucky has was be when they played Indiana and he wasn't great in that game facing up against Kalel Ware who's one of the better defensive uh, interior uh, players in the country I mean he only had six points three and nine shooting four fouls was in foul trouble that whole game how he handles the length of those two guys is going to be really interesting as well and you know does Tra JJ Trainer play I mean, he's been beleaguered on on uh, by fans in a lot of ways over over his time, but he's a guy that's been, you know, if inconsistent, has the potential, you know, stretch the floor, hit a couple shots, has been aggressive, hasn't been scared of the moment to where, you know, they really could use him against Trey Mitchell to kind of help out with that matchup, even though I think Mitchell could kind of body him a little bit, a bit uh, down low. He's not, JJ's not exactly the thickest guy. I'll put it that way, but the two things I look at, you mentioned it with the free throw shooting, Louisville, Louisville's best offense is getting the free throw line. And that's right. something that they've been really, really good at against almost everyone they've played. And I see, you know, if, if Huntley Hatfield's able to get Bradshaw in foul trouble, that's a big key. If, you know, Tyler Johnson's attacking 
down the lane. I I want to see because in Kentucky's loss against UNC Wilmington, I, I think that's a better comp because yes, RJ Davis torched torched Kentucky for what what, what was it twenty eight on Saturday. Louisville, yeah. yeah, Louisville Louisville doesn't have an RJ Davis. They just don't. <laughs> yeah, you look at a team that's shooting what twenty nine point four percent on threes, even forty seven point three percent on twos. Like, right. I mean. As much as John Calipari likes to say, oh, you know, this guy never makes shots. And all of a sudden, you know, against us, he's made, which to be fair, was true for Cormac Ryan against him on Saturday. Well, Cormac Ryan has a very long, long right, yeah. track record of, of being a really good shooter, though. So, but like, you're, I, you're, I'm not I'm not giving him that one for Cormac Ryan. <laughs> it, relative to this season, relative to this little period of games for him, at least. But, I mean, against Louisville, you're probably going to take your chances on that happening. Oh, absolutely. But... <laughs> team that counts for more than 25% of its points from the foul line, you know, the, the, the modus operandi for Kentucky in this game should be do not send Louisville to the foul line. And especially for the bigs, do not get in foul trouble early. Modus operandi. What a writer thing to say on your end, <laughs> but, <laughs> but kind of the point I was getting at, at, at the reason I bring up Wilmington, not just because Kentucky lost the game where they struggled in that contest was that one-on-one they couldn't, they couldn't defend Wilmington. And Wilmington's not exactly, you know, that's not RJ Davis or Carolina. That's not Kansas. They're not, they're, they're a fine mid-major team, but that's when you look at just the talent on each side, you would look at that and say, Justin Edwards, you should be able to stay in front of the sixth man on UNC Wilmington, you know, Wagner, Dillingham. They, they really, really struggled guarding one-on-one in that game. And Louisville's a team that plays a lot of one-on-one. They like to try to beat you off the dribble and get to the foul line. If Kentucky's one-on-one defense, individual defense, which has not been good so far this year, if they struggle on that end and Bradshaw and Yanyenzo and either aren't blocking shots or are in foul trouble, that to me is the only way Louisville stays in the game. And and now that still doesn't answer the question of how do they defend Kentucky on the other end, just the answer is probably they don't. But on an offensive end of things, that's that to me is how they could possibly have a slim chance of keeping it maybe competitive. Well, well, let me ask you this. You, you mentioned about the, the one-on-one defense, and especially in that Wilmington game. I mean, Cal said it ad nauseum in the press conference afterward about, you know, guys opening up their hips, not being able to stay in front of the ball. He, you know, lobbed a couple of grenades in, in the direction of some of the guards for their defensive capabilities. In Are that you game. talking about Cal after that game or KP after Arkansas State? Yes. Okay, oh, good. just making sure. Just because yeah. they said the exact same thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm looking at a guy like Tyler Johnson. 31.1% assist rate this year. Four more assists in six games this year. He's the only player on Louisville with a meaningfully positive assist to turnover ratio. I think Mike James has like a plus one, but and, and but that's you know basically a wash when you look at Tyler Johnson. It, and he's a young player. You know, obviously you can't be expecting too much from him. And he's probably it's probably not fair to put him in a position of having to carry the Louisville offensive facilitation in this game. But that is kind of the role that he's in or like the role that he's going to have to play if this massive upset's going to happen. Do you think at this early stage of his college career, A, he's going to be able to have that penetration and make the correct decisions to kick out the ball? And B, do you think Louisville will have enough offense surrounding him from the Sky Clarks and Trey Whites of the world to actually take advantage if Tyler Johnson's able to beat Kentucky off the dribble enough and get into the lane and, you know, kind of initiate some secondary actions? First of all, Tyler Johnson's the only true point guard on the roster. Like, and he's the only dude, as you said, that that's a good facilitator that can set other people up and get into the lane, create offense for himself and, and really, really, really do it well for others. Um, and on the defensive end, he's by far the best perimeter defender. He, he is like, he he'll be the one when Rob Dillingham checks in the game off the bench. I would expect Tyler Johnson to be guarding Rob Dillingham. 
Like, like that's, and I don't think he's going to be able to do it, but he's the only guy that'll put in the consistent effort. And he's, you know, he's going to make Dillingham at, at least battle some, unlike a lot of the other players when they defend on the perimeter. I I, I think Tyler is your best, your best hope in that aspect. And I think that's kind of the way of putting it on both ends of the floor. He's your best hope. Do we think he's going to be able to do it? Probably not. But he's shown in small sample sizes against Texas, against Indiana, against Virginia Tech, um, that he can beat people off the dribble. He can get into the lane. And I think he I don't think he can do that enough to be able to have Wolf actually win the game or or stay super competitive. But I think there will be moments where he will be able to do that against Kentucky's guards as well, because he's been able to do it against everyone they've played so far this year. And I don't think as good as Kentucky is, they're not great on the defensive end, especially on the perimeter right now. And and that's something to where I think they, that they can't, I know I'm saying I think a lot, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if Tyler was able, yes, he'll struggle with turnovers because he is a freshman, you know, he gets over aggressive, he makes those mistakes, but but I, I, I do see a world where he's able to get into the lane and make some stuff happen for, for Louisville in that game. I don't Anyone, do I think, do I think it'll be enough? No, but, but, but that is, I, that is in my opinion, their best offense in that game as, as say, it is in pretty much every game, just him or BHH on the block. Right. In, in Kentucky and KP touched on this in his pressure this morning of Kentucky, just being a team a with a lot of depth, but B specifically with a lot of scoring depth, Kentucky's got six guys averaging double digit points. You know, obviously part of that's Aaron Bradshaw who's only played three college games, but when you look at the Kentucky roster, there's a long list of guys who can realistically say, Oh, this guy might go for 15 points tonight. Oh, this guy might chip in 12 or 13 points tonight. You know, a Duthiero might come up with a, a, a Kansas type performance on any given night. When you look at this Louisville roster, I mean, obviously we have the injury question about JJ trainer, Dennis Evans, you know, KP wasn't committal this morning one way or the other on if they would play, but, but aside from some of the guys we've talked about already, is there anyone that you think could sprout up with an 11, 12 point game and show some capabilities against the top 10? Team? Well, I mean, Sky Clark will shoot the ball a lot. I mean, yeah. he's a high volume guy, but, but he'll, you know, score his 13, 14, 15, 16 points. He always does. Well, not, not, not always, but like he, you, you can count on him to be, you know, it's almost like the Monte Ellis thing where like, yes, even It'll the bad teams, performance, yeah, but yeah, but even the bad teams score 90 points and of those 90 points, someone's going to have 25. Like yeah. that's kind of, that's kind of what I feel like Sky Clark is, is in some of these games. But I mean, Mike James is a guy that's been averaging 13, 14 per game the last stretch, you know, I talked about with Coach Lieberman about a month ago and saying, okay, he had the big game one that he kind of fell off a little bit. Can he find himself? He kind of has right at the shift chip from that aspect a little bit so like Louisville offensively has been better I think is a good way of putting it with like a question mark um for me it's just I don't see how they defend Kentucky like like I mean they struggle defending the three they struggle cleaning up possessions with the rebounding on, on the defensive glass uh taking the Texas game out of it they struggled you know with communication I, I think Kentucky's going to torch them and, and offensively. It might it might be a good over bet. Um, I, I'm not I'm not sure they've released the over under at this point when we're recording, but but I I, I do think you know Kentucky's going to race out to a big lead. They'll take the foot off the pedal, and and all of the stuff we've discussed over the last 12, 13 minutes might not end up mattering all too much because I think Kentucky's going to win fairly easily. So I mean. You agree with that sentiment, right? That that Kentucky's going to win and win and win and win this uh, game fa- fairly easily. 
Yeah, and it's certainly interesting you brought up the, the three-point shooting percentage. It's funny because like Louisville, you know, obviously is not a good three-point, it's not a good, it's not a good basketball team. Let's just say that. They're not Correct. a good offensive yes. team. They're not a good defensive basketball team. You know, they're just not good. One of the strong points, if you could say that for Louisville this season, has actually been three-point shooting defense. Opponents are only making 28.7% of shots against them. That, that's that, one we've, we've talked, it. we've talked about that a lot on this podcast. I was gonna say that number's about to go way up. All right. If I know right, that is about to go way up this week or after following Thursday's game. Yeah. Not only because of the volume of shots Kentucky makes, but just the shooters that Kentucky possesses. I mean, you can pretty much close your eyes and see pretty easily a bunch of different guys. Antonio Reeves, Reed Shepard, Rob Dillingham, all going, you know, four of six, three or five for three-point range if they get the license to do so. And if anything, from a Kentucky perspective, given how porous Louisville's defense often is and given some of the potential depth and size mismatches that Kentucky has if a player like J.J. Trainer and Dennis Evans aren't able to go and contribute meaningfully – this feels like a nice cushy spot for Justin Edwards to finally have a breakout game. I know that was kind of the focal point of Cal's radio show on Monday was – almost reassuring people, hey, sometimes, you know, the freshman breakout doesn't happen within the first eight to 10 games of the season. You know, it kind of has to happen on a different timeline. If there's any moment for Justin Edwards in particular, who really hasn't had his headline performance yet to start building some confidence leading into SEC play, this feels like a great opportunity for him to be the kind of aggressive player that Calipari has tried to instill the confidence in him to be at the college level. He's flipped him and Reeves on the baseline three-point lines so that Edwards can get to his left easier Reeves can get to his right easier you know this feels like a chance where, where that kind of thing could happen and you could get a guy who hasn't had a breakout performance yet really you know stamp his his, his authority on the college game against a Louisville team that could be taken advantage of unfortunately for Louisville fans it wouldn't be the first time that that has happened in in this rivalry I mean I remember Tyler Hero had his uh against much better Louisville teams <laughs> than this this too I mean Tyler Hero had his big breakout game against Louisville a couple of years ago, um, Tyler Ulis in the game with, with the 38-1 team and, and a Louisville team that was undefeated, ranked in the top four at that point, was the difference maker in that game as a freshman. So it wouldn't be the first time from, from that standpoint. I, I'll, I'll leave it at at that. But, yeah, no, on the three-point shooting defense for Louisville, this is going to be, be, be my last point. This is something that Coach Lieber and I talked about a lot. I mean, yes, they're getting misses, but you look at a lot of the looks they give up, yeah, you know, especially looks. yeah, they're good looks. Like especially Fine you know, in the Indiana teams. game, it, it's a total facade that it that 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 Louisville's three point defense was good. What IU was one of eleven from three in that in that game. The Texas game, Texas is a really good three point shooting team. They were I think two of seventeen or something in that game, but they uncharacteristically missed a lot of wide open threes in that one. Virginia Tech, not a great shooting team. Ironically, the one dude that hit him bling on his name um hit, I think, three of their five threes, uh, was three of three, hadn't hit one all year, but but the rest of the team was like two of 20, something like that. That uh, but a lot of those looks were wide, wide open that they missed. And so I think Louisville's been playing with fool's gold a, a lot on the perimeter. And I think that could definitely end in a very painful way on Thursday night. So that's all we got here. We kind of went on. Uh, we've gone for almost an hour and a half here. So I feel like this is a good stopping yeah. point. Cam, really, really appreciate the time. I know you'll enjoy your first trip for a Louisville, Kentucky men's game inside the Yum Center on Thursday night. Hopefully they keep it a little bit more competitive than we expect for you. Give you something interesting to write about 
about. And uh, I'm sure when loss, whatever the heck happens, John Calipari will have some interesting things to say on well, Thursday night about I think, Kenny I think Regardless of what happens actually on the court on Thursday night, there will be a lot to take away from this game. You know, they could they could roll out there and play a 40 to 20 basketball game reminiscent of uh, of King Kelly Coleman back in the day and in all these, you know, old, you know, just looking at the crowd is going to be a fascinating reveal, seeing how Kenny Payne is greeted, um, seeing what everyone says in the post game, seeing if he puts his foot in his mouth again, um, seeing seeing a way that Calipari says this Louisville team runs good stuff. It'll be there's going to be a million takeaways from this game. And that's before we even worry about like where the ball is going on the court. Yeah, Calipari is going to break out every Calism stereotype about Louisville. Yeah, you're going to please someone needs to make a bingo card card of they're young kenny's building he's doing the right things they're not robots he's gonna hit everything trying to you know what what, you know they're friends that's what that's what he's going to do uh, of really trying to pump uh kenny up and try to help him out as much as he can i just don't think the the kentucky head coach is not exactly the voice of reason i think louisville fans will be looking for from that standpoint make sure there's a free space in the bingo card for cal bringing up his umass teams the free space is Kenny Payne won those games. <laughs> Anyways, for Cam Drummond, I'm Jack Grossman. We'll be back here. A special edition coming up in a couple of days here on Floyd Street's Finest. Until then, we'll catch you next time.